Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Go and get your Bibles open to Luke chapter number 19. Luke chapter number 19. I heard a story uh, about an old man who lived out in the country, and he had uh, 12 of the finest hunting dogs in the county. And he's out there one day sitting on his porch with his grandson, and the dogs are just laying around in the front yard, and all of a sudden a bird flies overhead, and one dog sees the bird, locks onto it, starts barking and tears off around the house chasing that bird. Well, if, you've ever, if you have a lot of dogs or more than one dog, you know what happens when one dog starts barking and running. Every other dog starts barking and running. Uh, we know that in our house. We have six dogs in our house, and uh, every time one of them barks because a raccoon burped three blocks away, they all go crazy. Now, most of them have no idea what they're barking at, but they're barking. And that was the case with these, these dogs. They, they just, this one dog stands up, starts barking and tearing off, and the rest of them just, they jump up barking, have no idea what's going on, and they tear off after him. A few minutes later, one by one, all, all 11 of the other dogs come back and lay back down. About an hour and a half later, that first dog comes back, and he's got the bird in his mouth. And the grandson says, how come the other dogs gave up so quick? The grandfather looks at him and says, well, they, they never actually saw the bird. He's the only one that saw it. The rest of them just got caught up in the excitement. That's a lot of times what happens in church. One or two people will get a vision for what God wants them to do. They'll get excited. They'll get on fire for God. And they'll start, start going forward and doing something. And the people around them get excited because of what they're doing, but they never caught the vision. And so their excitement fizzles out. Eventually they give up and stop doing what they were doing because they never really had the vision. We're, we're entering a program we started several weeks ago. We're calling All In. And I've been asking you uh, and asking you to pray about what God would have you go all in in for him regarding New Grace Baptist Church. Maybe go all in and worship, where you're going to be faithful to all the worship services. Not just Sunday morning. I don't know if y'all are aware of this. We have a worship service on Sunday night as well. It's a prayer time, Bible study. But whenever we get together and we read the Bible and study the Bible and pray to God, we are worshiping God. So being faithful to the worship services. Maybe you need to be faithful and step up and start being faithful to a Sunday school class or a midweek growth group. Maybe you need to step up and start being faithful in serving in the church. And we've got a lot of areas that you can serve in. We've got a lot of things that can be done. Maybe you need to step up and start being faithful in your giving to the work of the Lord. And here's, we've gotten, you know, I have given gave the cards out a couple weeks ago. And, uh, of course, last week I wasn't able to do anything. But then uh, we got some back, and I'm going to pass them out again this morning. But here's what I've noticed. I've got a lot of cards back, and again, you didn't. Nobody signed their names, so I don't know who who did what. Uh, but I'm just guessing by the responses I'm getting and percentage that of what people are doing is most of you are deciding to go all in in areas you're already all in in. 
You're already faithful to worship service, so you're all in on it. That's great. You're, you're faithful to giving, so you're all in on that. That's wonderful. But if you're all in on your worship service, maybe it's time for you to step up and go all in on growth groups. Maybe it's time for you to step in and up and go all in on a, a Sunday school class. Maybe it's time for you to step up and go all in on serving. And so I'm not asking you to show me or tell me what you're already doing. I'm asking you to pray about what more God would have you to do. And so our mission at this church, our, our mission statement, we love God, we love others, and we serve others. We love God in the worship service. When we come together and we sing His praises and we study His Word and we pray to Him, we are loving God. We love others as we come together in our life groups during Sunday school and our growth groups throughout the week and we fellowship with other believers and we strengthen each other and encourage each other and we serve others as we come together. And Maybe we serve in our community cupboard or our closet. Maybe we serve in a sound room or get on a cleaning team or whatever we do. But we, are, we can't do just one or the other. We've got to do all. We've got to love God, love others, and serve others. So I'm asking you to, to pray about uh, what God would have you to do, what God is laying on your heart to step up and do more in, and let's go all in on that. Now, the problem, I think, is a lot of you, like those other dogs, you haven't seen the bird yourself. You're caught up in excitement, but you've not seen the vision. This morning, as we continue to study about having faith that, fit, that, that lasts, we're going to see the story of a man who truly caught a vision of Christ and it changed his life forever. Now, of course, we're going to be talking about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, uh, as we start to study his life, he was one of the stingiest, most financially corrupt people in the entire New Testament. But by the end of the very few verses we're going to look at, he became the most generous man in the entire Bible. So we're going to start looking at him, and it all happened because of what he saw. So let's start reading in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse number 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. Now, Right there, we, two verses in, we've learned a lot about Zacchaeus. Now, Jesus is passing through Jericho. Jericho was, at this time, it was the most populous and really the most powerful city in the nation of Israel. It was even more powerful and more wealthy than, than Jerusalem. Uh, now, it wasn't as holy as, as it was there, so a lot of people went to Jerusalem for the holy uh, aspect of it, but Jericho was a powerful very wealthy city. Now, it's still under Roman uh, control here, but we have Zacchaeus, who the Bible says was a chief publican. Now, the chief publican at this time literally meant that he was the number one tax collector in the entire city of Jericho. Now, how many of y'all like the tax man? Nobody does. Nobody likes the IRS. As a matter of fact, the IRS has, in, in a way to try to uh, change their image, they don't call their employees IRS agents anymore. They call them uh, tax policy compliance directors. 
So they're not, they're not IRS agents. They're just trying to, they're not stealing your money. They're just making sure you're, you're complying with the tax code. Now, so nobody likes the tax guy. You know, when you, you get your paycheck and you open it up and you see that FICA guy, man, we hate that FICA guy. Uh, but a tax collector in this time was, it was a little bit more than just an unpopular government official. Because when Rome would come and they would conquer a city, uh, and they would, what they would do is after they conquered the city, they would put their uh, politicians in charge, a governor, uh, over Ro a Roman governor over the city, and their job was to collect taxes to keep the Roman Empire thriving, to build the aqueducts, to build the roads they needed. They needed money. And so they would try to, they would use people to collect taxes from the citizens they just conquered. But they knew if we put a Roman official in charge of getting the taxes, he's never going to get all the money he can. A local citizen would be far more able to collect the money needed because they know who's got money. They know where people hide their money. They know how to get in and find the places where people try to squirrel away cash so they can get all the money. So they would hire a citizen of that city to become a Roman official to get taxes from the other citizens of that city. So when you were, when you were put in charge as a tax collector, you were a traitor to your people. You were for the, for the Roman government, for the people who had just conquered them. You were working for them to take money from your fellow citizens. But that wasn't all they did. Again, it says he was a chief publican, which means he's not just a tax collector. He is in charge of all the tax collection in all of the city of Jericho. It also says he was very rich. Because during this time, the Romans would make a deal with whoever they put in charge. Here's how much money we need you to get us. Whatever you get above and beyond that, you can keep yourself. So if I was in charge, if I was a tax collector, and they told me, we need you to collect $1,000 a week, but anything else you get above that, you can keep. Well, I'm going to try to collect as much, but I'm not just going to collect the bare minimum. I'm not going to collect just a thousand bucks. I'm going to try to get as much as I can. So if I can collect five thousand dollars from you, by and and he, what I, what they would do, they would give me a le, a, a, sol, a group of soldiers. I would have my own little legion of soldiers, so I could come to your house. And if I know you got money and you're trying to hide it from me, I can have you arrested. I can have you killed. I can have your house burned down. So out of fear, I am collecting as much money as I can from you. So not only am I betraying my own people by working for the enemy, but I'm stealing from them to make myself rich. Because of that, publicans or tax collectors were hated. People despised them. As a matter of fact, if you read some Jewish history at this time, the Jews at this time thought that if you were a tax collector for the Roman government, you weren't even to be considered human. So I can lie to you, because it's not a sin to lie to a dog. They hated tax collectors. So he is a, he is a very hated man in the city. But he's powerful. He's rich. So there's not a lot you can do about it. 
Uh, so he's he's the he's the in Jericho as a chief tax collector. He is probably the most hated man in the city. Keep reading verse number three. And he he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press because he was of little stature. And he ran before and climbed up to a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. Now, this, this may explain why Zacchaeus was so good at his job, why he, before, when Rome took over, why he was so eager to become a tax collector, because he had to be eager to become not just the, to become the chief tax collector and get so much money, why he was seeking so much wealth and authority and power, because he's a little guy. People pick on little guys. So, probably for his entire life, even before Rome took over, he's been mocked and bullied and ridiculed and picked on and pushed aside. And so he got an opportunity to get some power. He got an opportunity to exact some revenge on the people who had hurt him so he took it. He's been overlooked his entire life, pushed around, and now he has the power to push others around. But he's still, because of what he's done, he's hated. We, we notice here, you know, he wants to see Jesus. And there's a crowd around Jesus, as there always was. But he can't get to him. Now, compare this to the woman who had the issue of blood we looked at a couple weeks ago. She wanted to see Jesus. She should not be out in public. She's unceremonially unclean, so she's trying to hide herself out of shame. But she's trying to get to Jesus, and she can. She's able to get through the crowd and touch him of his garment. Why? Because his followers allowed her access to him. But they hate Zacchaeus. So when Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, they won't let him in at all. You have no authority here, Zacchaeus. You know, you can't make us part to let you see Jesus. So they hate him so much, they won't even let him see Jesus. The people who should have been trying to get him to Christ are the ones who are keeping him away. Look, don't let the hypocritical, judgmental, self-righteous followers of God keep you from seeking God. Zacchaeus wanted to get to God. His followers wouldn't let him in, so he found another way. He climbs up a tree to look at Jesus. Look at verse number 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Now, this is a, a very bizarre interaction. Jesus, at this time, is probably the most well-known figure in all of Israel. Everybody knows who Jesus is. Everybody knows he's a, a, a teacher, he's a rabbi, he's a holy man. He talks for God. Now they may not believe he is God in the flesh, but they believe, man, he talks for God. He is a holy man. And here's this holy man wanting to go, and the word when he talks about abide, it literally means he's going to go have a meal with him. He's going to go have a meal with the most hated man in the entire city of Jericho. He doesn't want to meet with the ruler of the city. He doesn't want to meet with the mayor. 
He wants to meet with the number one tax collector, the person that everybody hates. This is what I love about Christ. You know, we have a lot of names for Jesus. King of Kings, Prince of Peace, Lord of Lords, the Great I Am. My favorite name we have for Jesus is Friend of Sinners. He is the friend to people that everyone else wants to cast aside. The people everyone else wants to get rid of and be done with. Jesus is the one that seeks them out and loves them and accepts them where they are. Look at verse number 6. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with the man that is a sinner. Again, to eat, to eat with someone in this day was a sign of intimate fellowship. You didn't have a meal with someone unless you were approving of everything they've done and you were inviting them into intimate fellowship and a loving relationship with them. So Jesus is extending this invitation of intimate fellowship to Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus changes his life. Before Zacchaeus cleans up, Jesus says, come on down and let's have a meal together. And this infuriates the Pharisees. Because they're like, Zacchaeus should have gotten his life right. Then God could, then Jesus could eat with him. But Jesus says, no, no, no. You don't have to worry about getting your life right right now. I'll accept you where you are. And then I'll change you. So Jesus is showing the difference between the gospel and religion. Religion says you change and then God will accept you. The gospel says you are accepted as you are and the love that God gives you and the acceptance God gives you, that will change you into God's image. See, God's acceptance isn't a reward for, for cleaning up your life. God's acceptance is the power to actually clean up your life in a way that matters. Look at verse number 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. See, uh, uh, religion points outward. Zacchaeus, you do these things, and then you'll obtain salvation. The gospel is in verse 9 there. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, salvation came to this house as a free gift. And because of your salvation, because of your interaction, and because of you meeting Christ and receiving the gospel, then you change. In response to Zacchaeus being accepted by God, he goes through incredible change. He doesn't do it to earn salvation. He does it because of salvation. Because of the gift God has given him, Zacchaeus changes in an incredible way. And look how he changes. He says, God, anybody I stole from, I'm going to give back fourfold. Now, according to Levitical law, if you stole from someone, you only had to repay them what you stole plus 20%. There's only one instance where you had to give someone back four times what you stole from them, and that's when you stole their cow. Say, why? 
because you utterly destroyed their finances. But I'm, shh. I don't know why the cow thing, but if you stole a cow, you had to give back four times what you stole. Normally, you would have to give 20%. So he's, he's going above and beyond what the law expects him to do, not out of duty, not out of because he has to, but because he wants to. But then he says, not only that, Jesus, I'm going to give away 50% of my wealth. Nowhere in Scripture, for any reason at all, does it say, give away 50% of your income? Nowhere. He is not doing this because he has to. He is doing this because he wants to. Jesus, in this entire instance, Jesus never says, Zacchaeus, here's what you better do if you want to get right. Zacchaeus willingly and eagerly says, Jesus, because of what you've done for me, because of your love for me, because of your acceptance of me, here is what I'm going to do to honor and to please you. He does it because he wants to do it. This is a man who has betrayed everyone he knew to get money, to get power, and he eagerly gives it up. What happened to him? Money no longer had a hold on him because he found a better treasure. He saw Christ as greater than money, greater than power, greater than prestige could ever be. See, Jesus loved Zacchaeus. Money never could. He could love money, but money never loved him back. Jesus accepted Zacchaeus. Power and authority could never do that. It could never give him the love and the joy and the fulfillment that Christ willingly and freely gave to him. Jesus forgave Zacchaeus. He pursued him when he was undeserving. Nothing else could ever do that. See, money says... If you fail me, I'll leave you and you'll be a miserable forever. He had to alienate his family and his friends to get it. And even when he got it, it wasn't going to last. Eventually, he would lose everything he'd hurt so many people to get. Money would never die for him. Jesus came to absorb the wrath of Zacchaeus' sin, and die in his place. See, Psalm 16 says, For you will not leave my soul in hell, nor will you suffer your godly one to see corruption. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. See, Jesus offers the highest possible joy that lasts for eternity. The greatest joy for the greatest duration of time. Zacchaeus got a taste of that. And everything else didn't matter to him. Everything else lost its hold on him, so he gave it away. Thomas Chandler's, back in the 1700s, wrote a book called The Explosive Power of the New Affection. And in his book, he says that when our affections... When our awe, when our love of Jesus becomes big enough, then what he calls the lesser attractions of this world lose their hold on us. When Christ is, is so much to us, when we, we love Him so much, then the, the sins and the pleasures and the temporary things of this world, they mean nothing to us. Because we are so in love with Him. 
it's like it's like marriage, how marriage should be. You and April, we've been married for, for 24 years. Uh, right? Yeah, 24 years uh, we've been married. There uh, is not a woman I've met recently or in a long, you know, there's not a woman I know that could tempt me to hurt her because I love her so much. Am I saying it's impossible? No, I'm a man. I'm not stupid. I'm not saying devil bring it on. I'm just saying I love her so much that every other woman, sorry, but y'all are, y'all are nothing to me. I mean, I love you, but just in Christ because my love for her is so much. And that's what it is with, we, when we love God so much that all the, the sins of the world, they just, they fall away. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. He saw God's love for him. He experienced God's love for him. And he fell so in love with God that he says, God, all this other stuff I've been doing to, to earn money and power, it's, it, it means nothing to me. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna restore to people. I'm gonna give away everything I have. Our captivity on Christ is so strong that our other captivities are broken. They have no power of us. We see this in Zacchaeus' life when it comes to, to money. But it applies to every area of our life. It applies to our time of worship. It, it applies to our willingness to get involved in groups, to serve, and to give financially to the work of God. So there's a few lessons for us here in the story of Zacchaeus. First lesson we learn is number one, our problems come from idolatry. Our problems come from idolatry. Idolatry is when something is so important to you that you, you crave it. You depend on it. You believe you can't be happy without it. Zacchaeus worshipped money. He thought that was the greatest thing that life had to offer. So he hurt people. He stole to get it. He lied to get it because he loved it more than anything else in our life. And look, if we're honest, to every one of us, money is an idol in some way or another. We, we cheat to get it. So how do I cheat to get it? We lie on our time card. We, we cheat on our taxes so we can get a bigger refund. We do whatever we'd have to do because we, we don't feel like we, we have enough. We work too much so we can have more money. And when we work too much, we neglect our family, we neglect our responsibilities, we hurt relationships in our life because we're trying to earn enough money we think we have to have. Or we spend too much to keep up with some standard of living we think we got to have, and we end up going into debt because of it. We covet money because we, we want what others have. We refuse to give to God because we think we got to keep it all for ourselves. We find safety, security, and stability in money. It's what we look for to make sure our future is secure instead of looking for Christ. Our faith our trust and our security is found in Jesus alone. He is the only thing, the only person that will never fail us. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't worry about money. 
and you shouldn't have a plan for your finances. That's not biblical. I'm not trying to say we all got to be like Zacchaeus and give away 50% of our income. If that's what God lays on your heart, you, you better do it. But I'm not saying every, I'm not trying to get you to, you know, this isn't a, a plea for, you know, give it all Sunday and I want you to mortgage your house and give it. No, 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 no. Don't do that. That's stupid. Uh, and I'm never going to ask you to do that because I'm never going to do that. Uh, I'm not asking for that. But what I am saying is you should have a plan uh, for your money. You should have a, a biblical vision for your money. Now, biblical vision means that you are smart with your money. You are careful of what you spend it on. And some of us, we have some pretty frivolous spending. We, we spend it on things that we, we don't need. Some of us, uh, sitting on the front row here in a black sweater, spend all our money on, on purses. Now we have three or four totes full of purses under my bed. And you can't, you can't have but one purse at a time. I got one wallet. You know, I don't have 50 wallets I have to match with my outfits. I got one wallet! But gotta have, gotta have a bunch of purses. Have a bunch of shoes, but you know you spend it on on things you shouldn't. Uh, frivolous spending, uh, stupid spending. Uh, maybe so. You got to be smart with your money. Uh, be wise with your money. It is wise to save for the future. It is wise to have money set aside for if something happens. It's wise to plan for retirement. So be smart with your money. Be wise with your money, but also be generous. With your money. Give extravagantly. And I'm not just talking about to the church. To other people. To needs that are important to you. Don't, don't hold on to money so tight that you're, you're not willing to do away with it or to give it away to help further the kingdom of God. Now, you're never going to do all three of those until it's not an idol. Money was Zacchaeus' idol. Money was what caused all the problems in his life. Maybe your money, maybe your uh, idol is identity. You find your security in what people think about you. How people view you. So you do whatever, you lie, you cheat, you steal, you hurt people to make sure people think good of you. Uh, you're not happy unless others think good things of you. And it really, you're, you're more concerned about what people think about you than what God says about you. So your identity is your idol. Maybe it's your job. Your job's more than making a living. Your job's your identity. You are wrapped up in what you do. Maybe your uh, idol is entertainment. You spend all your time and money and, and whatever you have to, on Netflix and Facebook and TikTok. You're obsessed with being entertained. Maybe your idol is comfort. And easy life is the most important thing to you. More important than the eternal life that God has promised you. Whatever your idol is, they will always cause problems in your life. They will always keep you away from Christ. So here's the second thing we learn about Zac from Zacchaeus. True change comes through the gospel. See, Zacchaeus didn't change because Jesus commanded him to. He changed because he wanted to. Look back at verse number 6. It says, and he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Zacchaeus received Christ joyfully. This wasn't about law. This was about love. One afternoon with Jesus, 
did more to change him than 10,000 sermons on the law ever would. The gospel does what religion cannot do. The gospel changes your heart. And your heart is the root of every problem we face. Your heart is the, is the root of every sin we deal with. It's the root of the problem. And the gospel releases you from what is holding you captive, and it frees you up to love others. He let go of his hold on money, and he eagerly, happily gave it away to help other people. And look, we today, we've experienced God's grace more than Zacchaeus ever did. We've experienced God's grace more than anyone ever have. Look at the last word that Jesus uh, gives on this story. It shows the power of the story in verse number 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. See, we see in Zacchaeus' story, we see our story. We get a picture of what Jesus did for us. See, Zacchaeus deserved to be despised. But Jesus invited him into a loving relationship. He paid him the highest social compliment of the day by eating a meal with him. That's what he did for us. See, we deserve scorn. We deserve hell. I don't care who you are, how you were raised, how often you went to church, how good you think you are, You deserve hell. But God died in your place. He absorbed the wrath of God for your sin. He was buried and rose again three days later. So you don't got to go to hell. So you can accept His gift of salvation. And you deserve hell. But He gives us grace. He gives us mercy. And here's the thing we got to remember. Don't ever get away from the fact that you deserve hell. Don't ever think you don't, oh, I I don't deserve that, I'm better. No, you are not. Christ is, but you ain't. Don't ever get too puffed up thinking, well, I've done so much good in my life. Surely God would have forgiven me. No, He wouldn't have. You don't deserve it. We deserve to be, you know, know, and look, here's the thing. If we got what we deserved, we wouldn't go to hell when we died. If we got what we deserved, we'd be in hell right now. Right this second. That's even for the the lost people. The people who have not yet accepted salvation. If they got what they deserved, they'd be in hell right now. But God's grace has allowed them to be alive in a time where we as His children can give them the gospel and they can receive salvation. God has been better to us than we ever deserved. God drank the cup of God's wrath for us and gave us the cup of joy. See, Zacchaeus... He had to climb the tree to see Jesus because he was despised. But Jesus invited him down, and then in a few few months, Jesus would hang on a tree for him. See, I've told you before, Deuteronomy tells us that anyone who dies hanging on a tree is despised. Jesus was despised for Zacchaeus' sake, for our sake. He took the place of Zacchaeus, and instead of rejection, he got the warmth of fellowship. Jesus took the scorn, and Zacchaeus got the joy. Jesus took the pain, and Zacchaeus got the pleasures of God forevermore. And that's just a part 
of what turned him into the most generous man in the New Testament. See, here's the thing. Meeting Jesus, the gospel should change you. I, I don't have a problem with people who struggle with sin. You know why? Because I struggle with sin. You should struggle with sin. I got a problem with people who don't struggle at all. Who, oh, I've been so, yeah, I got saved, I said the prayer, one, two, three prayer, I, I did that, but it doesn't change anything about them. They're just as mean, just as hateful, just as ugly, just as, as selfish and greedy. That's not what the gospel does. The gospel changes you. Meeting Jesus changes you. We see that in Zacchaeus' life. It should change you. But the only way we can change our hearts is by looking to the cross and looking to the empty tomb. We see Christ in all His glory. We see what He did for us. What He endured for us. And that doesn't, that causes us to love Him and we want to change for him. See, a mark of the gospel, the mark of a person who's been changed by the gospel, isn't that they need, they need to be feet made, feet, they need to be made guilty to be generous. They are naturally generous. And I'm not just talking about with their money. They're generous with their love. They're generous with their forgiveness. They're generous with their grace and their mercy because God's given so much to them. In Hebrew, The word for generosity literally means to saturate with water. Water is a symbol of life. We are to overflow in a way that brings life to people. In Greek, the word for generosity means ready to distribute. Ready to give of whatever we have to be a blessing to other people. When the gospel touches you, you become that way because that's how Jesus has been us. 2 Corinthians 8 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that through His poverty you might be rich. Because of the Gospel, we are to be generous in every area, in our time, our talent, our treasure, our forgiveness, our love, our grace. The Gospel changes you. Third thing we notice, number three, we go all in for God out of love, not duty. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking, what do I got to mark down on that card to make him leave me alone? How much do I got to give so he'll shut up? You're not getting it. You, You don't get it. I don't want you to do these things or go all in on these areas to make me happy or to make yourself feel better. We don't do it out of duty. We do these things out of love. The Gospel is about love, not law. It isn't about percentages. It's about a person. See, Zacchaeus freely poured out his his money as a love offering to God. We do the same with our money, but we also do it with our worship, with our service, with our fellowship, with other believers. We don't do it because we have to. We do it because we get to. Because we've been given so much from God, we want to freely give to others as well. That's the difference between the gospel 
and religion. See, God doesn't need us to do His work on earth. He invites us into His work on earth. God doesn't need us to be faithful to worship service to stroke His ego. God invites us to worship Him in, in spirit and in truth. God doesn't need us to give financially to His kingdom to keep it afloat. He invites us to be a part of the greater work that God is doing in the world. So if you're asking, how much do I have to do? How faithful do I have to be? How many services do I have to go to? How much do I have to give? You have a wrong view of the relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 9 7 says, Let every man give according to the purposes of his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Why is it important that we give cheerfully? When you write your mortgage check to the bank, do you think the bank cares if you're happy about it? Do you think American Electric Power gives a hoot and a holler if you're happy about paying your electric bill this month? They don't care. They don't care if you're happy, mad, or sad about it. They just want you to give. But God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because God wants us to give not out of duty, but out of love. I don't have to give to God. I get to give to God. I get to give Him my time. I get to give Him my talent. I get to give Him my treasure. It is about worship, not duty. See, we're all like Zacchaeus. If we've been saved by the Gospel, that should change us. And that should make us cheerful givers to God's kingdom. Giving of our time to worship God, to fellowship with His children, to serve, and to give of our treasure to further His kingdom in the world. Now, you may have filled out your all-in all card, but I've got some more in the foyer, and I want you to pray and say, God, did I fill out what I'm doing or what you want me to do? Think about what God wants you to do for His kingdom. And fill out your all-in card with what God has given you or laid on your heart. Don't Did you just put what you're already doing or did you put what God wants you to go all in? God has done so much for us. These things I'm asking you to do, be faithful to services, be part of a growth group or a, or a Sunday school class, be faithful in serving, be faithful in giving. What He's done for us, that's nothing. That's child's play. But we do it out of love, not out of duty. So again, and if you're like, I'm going to check this so Sean will shut up, don't do it. Don't do it because you think I'm trying to make you. Do what God wants you to do because you love Him. He's done so much for us. Just keep your eyes on Him and do what He asks of you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.